how do we prevent and beat stress, fatigue, and burnout? These are three things that I definitely feel all the time. And this time last year, I went through a burnout myself. You know, I'm super excited about today. I've been eagerly waiting for this episode for quite some time. And it's going to be cool. We've got guests from uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, West Coast, I believe, uh, in Australia, as well as me here in the UK. Welcome to day 72 of my 90-day challenge, where I'm sharing insights into the world of health and entrepreneurship. I'm Beirut's public health doctor, preventive medicine physician based here in the UK. And my mission is to help you, the entrepreneur, to create a healthier, happier world through your ventures. But often it starts at home with our own health and well-being. And, you know, oftentimes entrepreneurs like you and I, we go through a personal health experience of our own or looking after a loved one. Indeed, during the pandemic, many of us saw problems and, and opportunities that we want to tackle as entrepreneurs. And these are reasons or drivers of uh, change, inspiration really to help us to pivot into the health sector. My guest today, he's been my very special guest for the last couple of months. Uh, you know him by now, Heath Stone. He's a former police officer from Vancouver turned serial entrepreneur. And because of his experience of almost three decades of living with and thriving with diabetes, he decided to pivot into the uh, health sector. Before we get started, quick disclaimer as always, we're gonna be sp speaking about um, health issues. So do speak with your licensed doctor if you're concerned uh, by any means. Heath, it's over to you. You'd like to introduce our very special guest today. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Beirut, for today. Well, today we're going to be discussing how to create uncommon energy. And I really want to take a moment to introduce a really special guest today. And before we start today, Beirut, I really want you to know how privileged I feel to be talking with Dr. Sean Richardson. He's a fellow Canadian who's currently living on the Gold Coast in Australia, and he's been a personal mentor and a good friend of mine for over 10 years. I've experienced and seen Sean's passion about uncovering the extraordinary possibilities of people. He has and is personally working with me and has helped me when I was facing significant challenges and change. He's obsessed with helping people resolve the very human roadblocks to being their best, particularly around performance, health, and well-being. Sean's unique integration of experiences and working with leaders to get more out of their team in elite environments and working with individuals in his mental health practice, well, that positions him at the forefront of emotional and behavioral high performance. He's a PhD in performance psychology and is the founder of Energy Healthy. He's focusing on helping stress, burned out executives, I fell in that category, business owners, team members, and working parents to get their lives back and maximize performance. So Sean's going to help show people how to progress along the well-being performance continuum from burnout to resilience and then to high performance. He's been a significant factor in helping people transform and live with uncommon energy. So today, Sean, I can't thank you enough for joining us. We're going to talk all about how do we prevent that stress, the tea that leads to burn. Welcome. Thank you so Thanks, much. You. So, Beirut, I'm going to turn the floor back to you. But really, our question for today is really, how can we help ourselves and others prevent stress, fatigue, and burnout? And Sean, looking forward to your expertise on this. Excellent. Great Thank stuff, you. Heath. 
Sean, I'd love to pass the uh, mic over to you, really. I'd love to learn more about you because Heath has been talking so highly of you for the last few weeks. Uh, so it's over to you. What led you here? What's your story uh, and what got you into helping these uh, professionals and working parents and indeed entrepreneurs? Yeah, thanks, Beirut. Well, my story is um, probably started from my own experience of going through what we might call uh, athletically driven or physically driven burnout or fatigue. And I wrote, ended up writing my PhD on it. So I, I had two attempts at the Olympic games in rowing in Canada. And the first one I, I was in, a, in, a, in quite a good position. And I felt that, um, you know, I never thought for myself at all of any issues of fatigue or burnout were on the horizon. I had, a lot of sports science knowledge previously. So I was, I was in the midst of, of studies in sports psychology and sports science. So I had a lot of sports science knowledge. I was aware of managing my fatigue. So I had a lot of knowledge. And yet I still managed to push myself to the point of um, injury and, then, and ultimately fatigue-related injury that uh, knocked me out of contention. So, you know, when you, when you are pursuing a dream for a long time and you take yourself out you, you kind of at some point you make a decision well you ask the question was that bad luck and at the time I might have I, I realized I had pushed a little bit too hard but I'd never really identified it along the lines of of acting in that way of that would might lead to burnout in this case it led more to injury fatigue related injury but I missed out and I missed out a couple of times I'm in trying to make the Olympics. So then my PhD topic chose me. I applied to come to Australia to do a PhD in sports psychology. I had a supervisor who asked me to write a proposal on overtraining. He was doing research on overtraining and asked me what that's all about. <clears throat> and if I was interested and I said, why not? And I didn't really identify with it myself, but ended up um, writing the proposal, getting into university in Australia, and went down that path and realized that the question I had in my mind really related to myself, my own experience was how, in my case, how does someone with knowledge and in, in a lot of professional sports environments, there's a lot of support. So you have a high performance manager. I work with in professional sport for 18 years, high performance manager. You have a lot of physiologists. You have people monitoring your fatigue, your energy levels, your fitness, your health on a daily basis basis yet we're still seeing unnecessary fatigue unnecessary injuries unnecessary illnesses and overtraining and what you're going to hear from me is that you know we're talking about avoidance of burnout and burnout is one outcome but we actually in my in my research what i found is that there's a there's sort of a behavioral set that leads to a series of outcomes and they have a common foundation or a common problem and not really a foundation. The foundation that's common is how we get out of it. But athletes are ending up injured, sick, burnt out. And in sport, uh, overtraining syndrome is, is the athlete's version of burnout or what we might call chronic fatigue syndrome in, in an athlete. And so we have all of these negative outcomes. But what was really common to them was that um, there was an imbalance in their lives. And this idea of balancing what we call stress and recovery in sport 
is something that's been around for four or five decades in the sports science. And it's really the only place and why we're going to speak from sport as a foundation to this discussion is because it's really the only place where there's a strong science around managing energy, around responding to stressors in a very systematic way. However, what I found in my PhD work was that in sport, the answer to that question is why are athletes still getting unnecessarily injured and fatigued and stressed and overtrained was because they were paying attention only to a narrow band. Well, not really a narrow band, but to one category of stressor. So in an athlete's case, that's your training load, your physical stressor. And so all of the recovery, if you, if you stress the body, you have to get recovery. All the recovery was done to focus on the physical training load. Yet, as soon as athletes were, you know, as soon as athletes left the, the training venue, they had their own lives, families. Sometimes if they were younger, they might've been studying in university. Some of them had jobs. We have a real mix of other aspects of life going on, just like someone in, in the workplace, like an entrepreneur, like any other person out there. There's a lot of load, if you want to call it that, stressors, things that take energy from us, from, from all parts of life. And in sports science, there wasn't a proper accounting for all those other variables. So we have a stress load here from physical training. And then there's also an added stress load from life. If you're only accounting for the stress load from physical training, you get recovery from that. But the other stressors from life create a gap. And in that gap, we see risk as energy drops, fatigue increases, and you have that risk for negative outcomes, negative health outcomes. And as soon as we start to talk about the rest of life and other categories of stressors, and we'll get into that to the model in, in a moment, we realize that this applies to every human being. So I realized it applied to myself. I did my PhD in sport, but ever since I, I finished um, almost 20 years ago, I've been teaching the principles of balancing stress and recovery and the discipline of science that we take from sport in the corporate context. I've been teaching to individuals. I've been teaching it to um, entrepreneurs. And like he said, you know, working with him as a, as a diabetic, realizing that there's some really strong principles here that are really important to how he's going to manage his health. I've even actually applied the principles to performing artists, opera singers. I had an opera singer who had to deal with voice nodules, and we applied a stress recovery sports science approach to help her avoid surgery and be able to go to auditions in Italy. So, you know, it's sort of a really interesting integration. This is a core of all human health. Wow. Sure. And personally, Beirut, it's, yeah. it's exactly what he said. This is how we work with me. I would love to, you know, uh, in a moment, get more into that experience between the two of you, if I may, and we'll come on to that. Um, you know, first of all, one of the first kind of uh, comparisons I made when I spoke about entrepreneurs, I believe right at the beginning of this 90 day challenge, because I love having entrepreneurs come into the health space. It's, you know, the skill set that they have, the mindset and the, uh, the experience that they have, really we need more of in, in the health sector. But indeed, as you say, you know, it's the, the analogy I gave is we're, we're, you know, entrepreneurs are like Olympic athletes in a way, maybe not in the physical aspect, but there's high demands. There's always a constant need to 
Uh, pivot, always a constant need to be on your toes, you know, so, and especially if you have a team of employees, you're even more responsible. And I'm really curious, two things. Number one, if you've worked with any health professionals and what your experience of that has been. But then secondly, like, you know, I'm a student today. I'd love to hear from you, from your experience, how can we actually beat this stress and then fatigue and burnout? And as you say, these are just some of the symptoms of a wider problem. Thanks, Beruz. Yes, to answer your question, um, definitely does some work with health professionals. And it leads us into another key angle that I looked at it in my PhD work, which was answering the question, well, why does this happen? So aside from not accounting for multiple categories of, of stress and recovery, um, what we see is that there are influences in people's lives. So the things that influence us, even when we know better. So you think about someone who's trying to lose weight, for example, or, you know, Heath, we can talk about the diabetic who knows what happens with their insulin when they eat certain foods. So we might know what's the right thing to do and we still don't do it. And health professionals is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a great category to pick up on that. Um, when it comes to fatigue and burnout, one of the areas that we see is a, an enormous influence in any workplace and certainly in the health context. And I did a, a fair bit of work back in Canada with, the, with health authorities and hospitals there around this topic is that there's a culture that wears burnout as a badge of honor N not on purpose i don't think it's really it's it's it, it's a naturally evolving almost a coping mechanism when you realize that the context you're in is putting so much stress and pressure but this idea of working back to back to back you know 14 18 24 hour shifts on call Maybe you have to do a double 36-hour shift and you're napping um, in between shifts, especially in the hospital environment. We see that because it's all about putting other people first. It's about caring for others, which is a very noble cause and worthwhile. And it's extraordinary. What's what makes the health profession so extraordinary. But that model, that role modeling that comes from everyone and the conversation around it is you know, almost a uh, sarcastic or joking, or like we say, that badge of honor. Ah, I've been working, you know, back to back 18 hour shifts. I've only had two hours and here I go again. And that's a little bit scary, but those are the sorts of things that influence someone who's feeling flat, who's feeling tired, who, who knows they have to do more for themselves for their own self-care, but just keeps pushing through. And so that's one of the, you know, your, your environmental pressures, your contextual pressures, in this case, your cultural pressures. In, in health professionals, it's, it's really, we see that strong cultural pressure, but then we also see the internal drive of, well, I get so much positive feedback from helping others, I've always got to put them first. People often get drawn to the health profession because of wanting to put others first, and therefore, I come last. And... In our program, we run, you know, we run a series of programs, everything from introductory programs, online courses to a full 12 month one-to-one uh, -one immersion on how to turn your life around in terms of energy, health and performance. But in our programs, we, we really strongly drive that classic analogy that everyone knows about, although we're, we're not seeing much of it these days, but it has to do with getting on the airplane and you get on the airplane and it's a safety briefing and they tell you that when the oxygen mask comes down, even if your children are sitting beside you, you put your oxygen mask on first because 
you can't help someone if you're asphyxiating. Uh, you have to put your own health first to be able to help others. So whether it's healthcare, whether it's diabetics, whether First it's responders. entrepreneurs, yeah, whether it's executives, people who are really, or whether it's parents at home who really want to put their kids first all the time. And I'm a parent with two kids. We have to teach them to say, to be able to serve the way you do, you've got to put yourself first. And so in, in this whole context of managing energy and energy health to prevent burnout, the mindset is very, very important. It's one of the most important and realizing also the roadblocks, the things that influence that mindset from your cultural context, whether it's the workplace, your family context, who your role models are, did mom or dad always push through, never, never put themselves first. So that's sort of what's exalted. These are the things that we pay attention to. Couldn't agree with this you. Isn't there is one quick point. Sure. I'm medical, first responders, ex-policemen. That's when I actually became a diabetic from this very point of sleep deprivation, poor diet, the mindset and that culture that, Sean, you just spoke about. All the four pillars of health that we've been talking about all lead to the stress, the fatigue, and eventually the burnout. And the burnout being physical, mental, emotional, it can be all these areas that, that we're going to be discussing here today on what are these stressors and how to do it. They hit us all. It doesn't matter where you're at. But specifically in those areas where people are trying to be the most giving, we've got to remember to be intelligently selfish. What are your guys' thoughts? So on that note, actually, Heath, you know, we've got to be intelligently selfish. I like that. And I'm... Wearing your mask first. Look, it's it's going back to that badge of honor thing that Sean just referred to. And it's the same thing, I, I believe, for entrepreneurs. I, I see it time and again on various social media comments that people make or, uh, in, you know, just working with entrepreneurs. It's like a badge of honor. It's, indeed, it's just expected. Like when you get into the startup world, into the business world, say goodbye to that work. I mean, what is work-life balance? First of all, some people don't agree with it. I'm perhaps one of them. Um, and then the other side is, you know, it's it's like it's a badge of honor that, you know, I'm working left, right and center because I want to get this next uh, phase of development of our product out, for example. It's never ending. And I'm just mm -hmm. curious whether and I'd love to get to the solutions or the tips that you have for, for us uh, as, as health professionals, but also more importantly for, for me, entrepreneurs. Um, is that it? Is it more about a culture change or is it about education uh, look it's i'd say it's about both um culture change if we define culture really is the most common behaviors so what you say and do in in a group of people so those are the most common things you say and do they influence how you think and obviously how you behave now we have to still educate to give people the right topics and tools and content that drives their conversations and their actions that become the role models that become the culture so you could say does it start with culture not it it's a chicken or an egg but you certainly need to understand the context better and to me culture is just a bigger evolution of this mindset shift and i might um swap and share my screen at the moment because there's a couple of models i'd like to to share while we're in this conversation just that give us that that visual reference point and um, one of the ones that, that comes up is, is just in, in talking about uh, culture in the workplace, 
but I, I work with a lot of organizations, everything from startup entrepreneurial organizations to scale up when they're going through that crazy growth phase to large global entities that are massive and have stressors for different reasons from restructures to constant new challenges and, and global economics. And what I found probably in the last 10 years is that, well, in my whole career, there's no organization that doesn't say that they are driving towards high performance. I mean, an entrepreneur doesn't start their business saying, oh, I'm going to be average or mediocre. They really want to drive performance. And so they're there to achieve their objectives, to drive their KPIs across their teams, and to ensure that they get the utmost of human performance out of, out of themselves and out of their teams. And in the last 10 years, there's probably a stronger conversation around well-being. So what we get is every client I talk to says, we value performance, you know, that's our, our priority. And we also value well-being because we understand physical and mental health is really important. <clears throat> but it, but you can see actually there's a, there's a problem here, even the way I've presented these. And I call it the old way where we talk about performance and well-being coexisting. So this is part of the mindset shift. And probably, can you see my screen, by the way? Actually, oh, sure. I was going to say, it's blank, Sean. It's a okay. waste. I, I um, realize that uh, I might have to change the, the I chose a different screen, probably. <laughs> the, wrong, the wrong screen share, and it didn't work. So this will work for you. Can you see it now? We can. Perfect. So, yes, we have the two. Um, performance and well-being, the old way of thinking about these is thinking them as coexisting side by side. We value performance, it's our priority, and well-being is very important. But in treating it this old way, coexisting, we're actually inaccurate in how we're doing it. And we're, we're also uh, leaving well-being more to that sort of categorized reactive state. Well-being is really important. So when someone's struggling, make sure you support them. Are you okay? You know, the, the, the initiatives around mental health are, are really, really important, but we really have to want to shift people's mindsets into this new way of thinking, which is reminding us that you can't have peak performance. You can't be a great organization without the foundation of performance, um, of well-being. It is the foundation of performance. So I, I think that might seem really obvious, but if we look at, say, in sports, we're really aware of this. But even in sports where it's so obvious that if I'm fatigued or tired, if my well-being, I don't even have to be sick or injured, but if my, my energy, my fatigue levels, my well-being is just a little bit off, 5 or 10% off, that's the difference between a gold medal and maybe 25th place in the Olympics. It's the difference between winning or losing in the Super Bowl or, you know, the Stanley Cup or, you know, the, the English Premier League, whichever it is well-being, physical, mental health is crucial. It is the foundation so much so that, uh, in the last 20 years in sport, this has been a real revolution, even though the research has been around for 40 or 50 years, the revolution in elite sport has been to emphasize the well-being side so much that there's, it, it went from, and I worked in Australian football for the last 20 years in, you know, in the eighties and then probably the nineties of the transition decade, eighties and early nineties recovery from a football game was a case of beer with your mates and a, and, a, and a good debrief with a few choice words in the pub. And I'm sure that was a lot of fun. And it was probably good for real good mental and emotional recovery and connecting with your, with your teammates. 
but all that alcohol and lack of sleep was leading to a lot of fatigue and injuries and, and stressors in the body. And when teams started to adopt proper recovery, the ones who adopted it first got a huge advantage because athletes that could show up during the week for training and then on game day with a lot more energy without the disruption of a big night out on the booze, they would win games hands down every time. And so it's actually turned into, you talk about cultural change, it's turned into accountability. The importance of self-care and recovery has turned into real accountability in elite sports. So having worked uh, running leadership programs in sport for a lot of years now, players will be on each other. You know, have you, have you done your meditation today? Have you done your flotation recovery? Have you had your extra stretching and massage session? Make sure you're getting your sleep. Like there's a real drive. You talk about the badge of honor in healthcare. In sports teams, there's a real drive and accountability around that self-care factor because what we see in this diagram is it's so linked to performance. It's, it's the foundation. You can't have one without the other. Just to pause you there, Sean, you know. Go ahead. Yeah, just a quick one, um, and I'll come to you, Heath, as well. It, I, I sense, I mean, I, I, it's a question to you both, really. I sense we're seeing that now within the world of entrepreneurship too, aren't we? I mean, more and more people are talking about it and its impact on our mindset, which is indeed the foundation of everything. Well, everything that you and I have been talking about with this, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Sean has, is a mentor of mine, worked with me on my four pillars and worked through them so that they do fit within the wellness continuum and that it's going to give us the platform for the routines that are going to drive our results to ensure that our mindset and our intention, the pillar one is right, that we're eating and drinking enough water, that we're getting the uh, uh, movement and exercise, stretching, massage that, that we need, and then into that whole rest and recovery that we're talking about today. I think it's it's critical stuff. And I'm, yeah, it's just recharging even me this session. Sean, back to you. Did you want to add anything to that? So uh, I believe you were saying that the topic of stress recovery has become more important in the workplace business world and certainly for entrepreneurs these days. Is that correct? That's what I'm sensing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I'll probably uh, jump to sharing my screen again, just to, yeah. to share a little piece of research that popped up um, on my feed recently that came from uh, of all companies, Microsoft. So not, not so much a small startup anymore, um, but a large company. And, and what I've put on my screen here is, is a snapshot from an article they published online a few months ago. And so the question about is recovery science, for example, making its way into the workplace, is it relevant for entrepreneurs? Is it relevant for business people? Is it relevant for every person in the workplace? Absolutely. And this is a little bit of research that Microsoft uh, conducted internally where they were interested in the impact uh, with the COVID context of people working remotely, being on screens all day long, back-to-back -back meetings with no breaks. And you may have already started to examine the pictures here, but what we see is they, they tested different scenarios where they had groups of people doing the typical back-to-back Zoom, well, in their case, Teams meetings um, <laughs> without breaks, which is how we tend to schedule our time. You, if you're in a, if you're in a, in a busy workday, you, you're scheduling meetings either on the half hour or the hour, and it's just back, you're jumping from one to the next. 
And what they did is they, they attached um, uh, EEG brainwave activity caps so they could all the wires attach to someone's head and measure the brain activity. And they were looking at beta wave activity, which is a measure of stress. And you can see from the heat maps here, there's two groups. One of them is a group that went through their day without breaks typically. And another group took micro breaks, five minutes, five minute breaks between those sessions. And the hot colors show how from one meeting to the next, stress levels stayed elevated for those taking no breaks. Whereas for the group that took the micro break, we see the cool colors in, in, the, in the bottom part of the diagram suggesting people who did take breaks were resetting at the beginning of each meeting. So that very, it could be a three minute break, a five minute break, a very small break resets the brain, very, very important. And of course we see a difference in capability by you know midday, a day without breaks, a group who is not taking any breaks is gonna be very fatigued. It starts to affect performance. And we have a lot of other research to talk about how as, as energy depletes, and, and fatigue builds, it really affects mental performance significantly. That tool that you need to problem solve, even to engage, whether it's with clients or patients or customer facing, depending on your industry, we need that, that energy for our brain to function. In fact, our brain is one of the, the earliest places we notice a decline in performance when the fatigue builds, yet we can we can ameliorate this. We can respond to this during our day, during our workday, by taking these tiny little breaks between uh, one meeting or the other. And so, interestingly, from the article, Microsoft suggested their, their chief of tech technology is what they've built in. If anyone who does use Microsoft Teams platform, they can schedule meetings, and and there's a there's a setting where you can actually put a default setting around a micro break. So, you know, you might put in a half hour meeting throughout your day and, it, and you've set your default to four or five minutes and it automatically resets them to account for that micro break and, and gives people notification. And, and that's, once again, that's a cultural thing where an organization takes this on all as one, but it's highlighting the importance of just literally being able to get work done. And, you know, one of the conversations that we have, that I have with a lot of my clients and this is a really big one for the fast moving businesses. And it, it, it's more than entrepreneurs, but it's certainly entrepreneurs and in startup phase and scale up phase. When you have fast moving businesses, the most common conversation is, I don't have time. We don't have time for that. So, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm working 80 hours a week and I don't have time for anything. I don't have time to take break. Are you kidding me? Yet what we know from research is that you can give groups of people in a laboratory setting complex problems to solve. And one group will be working on that problem without break. And the other group will be working on the same problem. And it'll be groups of scientists. They've got to use their brain. This group gets a break and they come back after that break, maybe a bit more than five minutes, maybe half an hour. They're instructed to chill out not to do anything, not to try to solve the problem, just let their brain relax. They come back, they're more likely to solve the problem. So just actually get the answer at all. And they do it three to four hours faster than this other group. So, you know, you start to see that when people say, I don't have time to take a break for my recovery, we like to say, you don't have time not, not to. to take a break. 
because it makes you more efficient. So this is one of the, it, it's a content piece. It's a cultural piece. If you're, if you're starting a business, if you're scaling a business, if you're running a big business, this concept of recovery is essential if you want to get peak performance. It goes back to that diagram, well-being, what we call energy health is the foundation of performance. If you don't get it right, you will be underperforming and you won't know it. And I think that's one of the challenges of anyone who's not in the sports environment. In sports, we see such a direct relationship. The, the teams that I work with, they, the players run around with a GPS tracker on their back all through training sessions. They run around with a tracker on their back all through games. They have heart rate monitors. We are monitoring every aspect of their movement and their energy throughout their day. And you have a, a team of scientists analyzing that data. Once an athlete's been with a team for a few months, they have a baseline of, of data about their typical healthy say, at, uh, speeds, how fast you run at your peak speed, how fast you run at your 80 or 90% speed. And when those scientists see a dip, say, oh, today that, that player is running at 27.8 kilometers per hour top speed, they're normally at 28.6. Hey, what's going on there? They don't, you know, so those are, that sorts of very, we see a drop in energy of maybe five or 10%. We're seeing an immediate output or effect on performance. You don't measure that anywhere else that precisely, which is why we don't see this research and why it's difficult to do elsewhere. But what we do know and what I found in my PhD is there are a lot of other categories that do matter for stress and recovery that apply to everyone else beyond the physical. I love it. And Heath, I want to come to you in a moment, but just, just to look, you can't if only I could measure how and show you how much my blood was boiling while you were talking. First of all, everything you said resonated. Um, seeing that evidence of how the brain and, and markers of stress going from back-to-back -back meetings, I just want to add to this in a moment. So for the past you know, few months of doing the, these episodes and these podcasts, some are live, some are pre-recorded, Quite a few of my guests, when I ask them, one of these specific questions is, if you were going to solve a problem as an entrepreneur, if you were gonna solve the next problem, what problem would you like to solve? And specifically in the health sector, quite a few of them talk about um, the well-being of health professionals. You know, you've seen it during the pandemic and indeed this is not just the pandemic and now they're gonna to have to deal with all the backlog of, of delayed uh, procedures, operations, treatment, screening, all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm speaking to you now as the entrepreneur who wants to make a difference within the health space. First of all, it doesn't just have to be healthcare. There's all sorts of things that determines our health from workplace through to education, schools, and then also the healthcare sector. But specifically about this, you know, if you can do something to help the well-being of health professionals. First of all, I'll thank you. I'd love to work with you on that. There was a survey literally about a week ago uh, by the US Centers for Disease Control. They surveyed, I think, 26,000 staff, uh, specifically public health professionals. So these are my colleagues. Over half of them had some sort of mental health complaint, symptom, sign. Yeah. And, and just about June of last year, so 12 months ago, uh, early stages of the pandemic, I think one in four, if not more, people, general people, young people had contemplated suicide. This is insane. You know, we need to do mm. something about it. And Sean, what you just referred to now is you don't have the time not 
to pay attention to this. And a lot mm-hmm. of this is not down to the individual staff. This is organizational. And indeed, yeah. it goes back into startups, businesses at various levels. If the culture of the founder, sorry, I'm, I'm getting off piece because it's personal to me. You know, if, mm-hmm. if entrepreneurs are going into their startups and organizations wanting to make a difference and the culture, the preset culture is we need to work hard, play hard, then you're not going to get the best results. And you're saying it with the research that you found. I've been presenting some of the evidence in some of these episodes too, that it all plays from your mindset, from your meditation, from your physical activity, the food you eat. Not only does it prevent burnout and stress, it actually, what we eat actually impacts the decisions we make. It's, mm-hmm. it's just insane. The more you study this, it just gets scarier, but also provides opportunities that we can take advantage of. Absolutely. So, Sean, did you want to come back on that? I felt felt like you might want to add to that. Yeah, look, I I, I certainly feel that um, the the work hard, play hard is it's not. We can still do that, but we have to add a third piece. And I, I tend to have a mantra that I share with people. We say, work hard recover harder and I'm not and and it, there was a bit of a movement probably earlier in the in the in the millennium where there was a conversation around there's been a lot of conversations around time management because of you know the the seemingly extra demands on our time and Tim Ferriss famously wrote the four-hour work week for entrepreneurs and it's a great great read you know like get more efficient get back more of your time but and and one of the mantras that came out of that sort of thinking around time management was work smarter not harder and i think my my experience around this is people took on some of the tools in there and that's fantastic around time management working smarter but everyone looked around and said yeah but i'm still working really hard so where's the not harder part And so we like to flip that around and say, work hard, smarter, because we're still working hard and hard work is the way that you're still going to succeed. There's no entrepreneur that doesn't go out there and isn't putting in 80, hundred hour weeks during their, you know, their startup phases. And I'm not even saying that's wrong. The, The human body is an extraordinary machine and it can take on an extraordinary amount of challenge and stress and demand. But it can only do that in a healthy way if we're taking care of it along the way. And I think this is what we, we look at. I, when I rode with the Canadian team, they were the best in the world under coach Mike Spracklin. And they trained an extraordinary amount. It was 18 sessions a week, up to seven hours a day. Most people look at that and say, it's insane. It's crazy. How can you do that? And yet we did it. But it was the only thing we were doing. We were young men. We didn't have families. You know, we just ate, drank and slept and rode and that's it. And so when you're getting that much recovery, you can take on an extraordinary amount. Like an entrepreneur who's in their mid-20s, early 30s and doesn't have family yet, doesn't have any other responsibilities. They work all day and then they crash out. If they're getting good nutrition and a bit of exercise and they're getting enough sleep, they can manage that huge workload. But then life changes. They now have more stressors. All of a sudden, they've got to hire people. So they've added what we call social stress, the energy it takes to interact with other people and deal with other people's lives. They go from a single person to meeting someone along the way. 
and, and, and they have a significant relationship. And that, as much as it makes them happy, it puts demands on their lives. You know, the kids might come along somewhere along in, in the picture. And then, you know, as their startup grows and they get investors, they got to manage those relationships. And now they have staff and then they've got compliance with government, you know, franchising type of rules. Like there's a lot of things that start to change and add to the stress game. And you, you can no longer maybe work 100 hours, you're down to 70 hours. But you're not now, now you're saying to yourself, I don't have time to take care of me. And we're getting this gap, we're getting this increasing gap between stress and recovery. And it's that simple model that we have to keep in mind. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's a really relevant topic. I think that more organizations are aware of it, but there, there's still so much there around understanding what's in the way. And I'd, I'd probably like to, to jump on and, and, and share one of our key, another one of our key models to, to, to bring this all together in, in an illustration. And for those who are listening and, and not viewing this on YouTube, you know, walk, I'll, t I'll talk through it a little bit, but really, if you get a chance, you got to jump on YouTube and take a look because it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so here, here we go. It's, um, this is what we call the, the stress recovery wheel. And down, uh, once down the, the left-hand side, it, it looks like orange and that's the energy demands, the stressors in people's lives. And up the right-hand side, it's the green. It's the things that put energy back in. And what we've done in our program is realize that at the core, and if you, if you actually go into the stress research and, and look at the work done by Hans Selye, who was an endocrinologist who, who described what's called the general adaptation syndrome, which is how the body adapts to any stressor. Now, as an endocrinologist, he was looking at what happens in the immune system and, and, and health stressors and reminds us that when you, when you experience a stressor, it triggers the body to adapt. So we actually want to say we don't have to be scared of stress. We don't have to be scared. Uh, and, and stress itself isn't even negative. Hans Selye was one of the ones who said, hang on, we don't have to conceptualize stress as negative. The same stressor that might disrupt one person's life seems to trigger someone else to better health and performance. What's the difference there? And it has everything to do with how we respond to that stressor. First of all, just in how we even see stress. There's, 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 there's interesting research coming out in, in, um, in the medical literature now where they're, instead of just measuring the relationship between stress and disease. So for example, in, in diabetes and health disease and, and, and cardiac, cardiac disease in cancer, we see a very strong, well-established relationship that stress amplifies, exacerbates those particular diseases. So if you have high stress levels in your, your life, you're more likely to contract those diseases and die from them. Stress is, a is considered a major cause of mortality, you know, one of the leading causes of mortality in the Western world and in, in a lot of the world. However, that's a bit of a brute measure of stress. Some more interesting research lately has come in and said, hang on, don't people's beliefs matter? Doesn't it matter how you think about stress? Because some people think, hey, stress makes me stronger. And other people are bought into the, the literature that says, no, stress is bad for you. And so there's interesting research where they've looked at that instead of just measuring stress at time one and then asking how people go, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, they've, uh, they, they've measured also people's belief systems about stress, whether someone believes stress makes them stronger or stress is bad for their health. And then, you know, see whether they die down the track. Uh, so, you know, 
it's, it's some morbid research, you might say. But what's interesting is when you look at research like that, that comes out of the medical field, it's telling us that if you have a belief structure that stress makes you stronger, you might have, you might have predicted that gives you some boost and some protection for risk for death from you know, serious diseases. But in fact, when you measure groups that have been asked these questions, say in, in year one, and then 20 years later, see who's still standing, the group that has the lowest risk, the lowest rates of death and disease and mortality is the group with the highest levels of stress, but the belief that stress makes you stronger. The group with the highest risk and the highest levels of mortality, did I get that right? <laughs> I'm hearing my own words now. Um, the, the, the lowest risk, you believe that stress makes you stronger. The highest risk stress um, is bad for your health. And the other two groups with lower stress in between those two, so we're, we're reminded that we don't have to be scared of stress. And, and we're looking at this, what we call the stress recovery wheel here is reminding us that if you balance stress, which we categorize as, as energy demand, a simple energy demand. So a stressor demands energy from your body, which in terms of what's going on at the cellular level, it's the oxidation of glucose. So you need oxygen and glucose in your blood to create a little chemical reaction that creates energy for doesn't matter which cell in your body or which system, whether it's your musculoskeletal and you're an athlete, it's your cardiorespiratory, whether it's your immune function, we need energy for these things to run. And so if you're low on energy, they don't run as well and you get a compromise in your systems. But if you replenish that energy, um, you're, you're going to get things back into balance. Their initial demand on the system creates a challenge. And this is what Hans Selye was looking at in his work. He said it creates a challenge. The body acts with sort of an alarm reaction. It defends itself. It resists. And if, if it, given the chance to recover, that, that resistance and that sort of response creates an adaptation. It, makes you, it does make you stronger. The problem is, is when, when people take on a stressor, it triggers the body to respond, but then they just keep loading up with stressors and they're not responding with recovery to give the, the, the body the chance to bounce back. And this is what we saw very categorically in sports science was this balance is if we can push athletes really hard, but it's not just about how much they can take on, it's how much recovery they can get. And when we look at this model, and I mentioned it at the outset of our conversation, what we really get to see is that we have to consider demands in five key categories social, environmental, mental, emotional, and physical. Those are the five key categories of stress. And therefore think of matching those categories in terms of recovery. We, we get social recovery, environmental recovery, mental recovery, emotional recovery, and physical recovery. And so when we think about this, this concept of multiple categories, it means that we're accounting for all the stressors in our lives. So you take an entrepreneur and they might just be thinking, I'm stressed about finances or getting funding for my project. And, and so they, they've got a real strong uh, mental stress about the financial aspect of the business, but they're not taking into account the extra demands that come from what we call social stress, which is the energy you spend interacting with people. And that doesn't necessarily have to be negative. There's good research to show that um, people spend energy in positive interactions with others. Just you know, working with people all day long, it could be happy, it could be a positive workplace, it still takes energy. You need recovery from that. Uh, so when we, when we look at these other categories, it helps us to account that those are places that I'm spending energy in. For people who might question what is environmental stress, 
That's the, the, the energy demand of your, literally your sensory environment, which is why the Microsoft research is relevant. So that, you know, looking at a screen is a demand on your brain. It takes energy to be engaging with a screen. It also disrupts things like sleep and circadian rhythms, but we know environmental is sound, light, air pressure, um, these things that actually impinge upon your sensory system. Mental is really just the, the, the category where you spend energy using your brain, thinking. Emotional is the energy spent on feeling, and physical is the energy spent on moving your body. So those are those categories. Once we're accounting for all of them, we start to think of how we can get recovery in all of them. Social recovery being, you know, is, there's two forms of social recovery. It's, the, it's doing something with social connection. So connecting with another person, but in a way that leaves you feeling re-energized, rejuvenated. It might be that you go and talk to that really supportive friend and they just listen to you and, and they don't try to give you advice and they don't, they don't commiserate and join you in your misery. They just listen to you and give you support and, and you feel better. Um, that's social connection. It's a good form of social recovery. There's also social disconnection, which is where you just, you have total downtime on your own. It's not isolation where you feel lonely. It's just, you know, might be going for a walk in nature or on the beach where you feel like it's good time of getting away from everything on your own. And then we have environmental recovery, which is, you know, literally being in an environment where you tune down or tone down the sensory stimulation. You close your eyes, put on some noise canceling headphones, you know, listen to a guided relaxation or meditation where you just, you're literally calming all that, that sensory input. That's very helpful. Once again, if you go into nature, that's a very calming natural environment a beach or a forest walk. Mental recovery is where you is similarly where you tune down your mind. You stop the, the thoughts from worrying over. You do something that just helps your brain check out. And you're going to notice that some activities in your life actually cross over. They build dual purpose. So like something like exercise for me, even though it's a physical stressor, it demands physical energy. You know, it's a demand. When I do it, I find it great mental recovery. Like I, my, my brain just checks out from all the worries and concerns and thoughts that are going through my head. Um, then we have emotional recovery, which is doing things that calm your, your emotional centers. That's more along the lines of, of breathing, relaxation, even at to, to, to further down the continuum is asking for help and talking to professionals, dealing with the, if, if there's a cauldron of stress and emotions as dealing with that is emotional recovery. And then physical is the big ones are, are sleep and nutrition. For athletes, it's ice baths and contrast showers. Uh, it might be supplementation, might be gentle exercise, yoga, Pilates, stretching, things that, that cause the body to move and also trigger its recovery processes. So there you have it, it's the stress recovery wheel. It reminds us we have to pay attention to what's creating demands in our life and how we can get recovery in multiple categories. This is precisely why I would prefer this model as opposed to the work-life balance model. Um, yeah. it, this makes way more sense. L look, Sean, I, I just wanna first of all thank you, but also thank Heath for introducing me to you. I could genuinely, I could sit here and listen to you days on end. You, you're fantastic. You're obviously experienced and informed. 
and the way you present these things is just refreshing. So thank you for that. I do have one last question for you, but I want to make sure Heath chimes in as well and, and either, you know, comments, uh, ask the questions or anything. But I'll just ask you one last question from me before passing it over to Heath, if I may, which is, how can we learn more from you? I mean, I've put your website link down below, but how do you help? Um, how could you help someone like me, for example, as an entrepreneur and health professional? Well, thank you, Beirut. Um, Yeah, look, jump on the website link, fill out a contact form, get in touch with us. We run um, any number of levels of program. So I do one-to-one -one coaching for executives, for entrepreneurs, for athletes, for moms and dads, so people who want a one-to-one -one experience and wanted to, to learn the concepts of energy health either to perform at their best. So you might be in a starting place of being pretty good, but want to, you know you've got, you can want to take a lot on and you want to be better prepared. Uh, you can get that one-to-one -one coaching, but it's also there for people who are really struggling. If you're really in that pit of burnout and you don't know what else to do and you want to get out, you can reach out and ask for help. Um, like I said, we have a lot of different programs. We work at a group level in organizations. We run an introductory program that might be a two-hour session just to show you the concepts. We run a, a full day workshop at six or eight hour day workshop. Um, but then we also have ongoing continuous programs. So some I've worked with companies for a year where we might do a series of workshops, really building energy, health and performance into their culture. So that, you know, depends where, where, where you're at. We have online programs that are anything from that, you know, one or two, or two hour introductory session to a three month program that's got coaching as a part of it to a full 12 month immersion program that helps you to really understand all of these principles. And it's much more than just energy. It's really a, a total and utter transformation in your health, uh, which sets you up to be resilient and a high performer in whatever capacity that will be in your life. But we, we run the gamut there. So it's, it's really just a matter of getting in contact. Our contact details are, are on our website, energyhealthinc.com. And uh, just reach out and we, we figure out from there what's best for yourself or your organization. Heath, you know, one day we all need to go to Australia, don't we? <laughs> so That's not going to be my first time there, trust me. Visiting with John. I'll tell you, you know, my, my life has been truly transformed from my relationship with Sean. Um, I've experienced all of the stress. It was completely out of balance. And as a type 1 diabetic, I had physical, I had the mental, I had the emotional, I had so many different things going through life as an entrepreneur, running multiple businesses at one time, having my diabetes going fritzy on me and having sugar management issues and all of that stress on itself. Sean has really helped me put in routines that really drive results to create uncommon energy, health, performance. And that's, you know, Sean has really influenced me in this pivot that you talk about to go into the diabetic energy, health and performance and to, where we've created this model of the four pillars of diabetic health to really empower people that are dealing with these stresses of life that hit us right in the face sometimes that how did this happen? I thought I had it under control. Well, you have five balls as you know, these stress balls that you're juggling every time. And we've got to put the energy in to match that energy out or else the balls start, start to drop. So I can't thank you enough, Sean, for your time today. Uh, Beirut, as always, you know, we learn so much on these sessions. And from my point of view with Uncommon Diabetic, 
if you're interested in stepping up to unleash your uncommon diabetic health, and you want to have more energy, better health, improved performance. Well, I really want to invite you to join me for a free Energy for Life workshop on July 6th. We're going to help you assess where you are at in living with these four pillars and really understand how to create a map and the routines that are going to begin to build the foundations for your uncommon life. You know, Sean's really taught me these things and helped me in developing this program. It's going to help create focus and clarity about your desired results. You're going to eat to maximize health and taste. You're going to manage your energy health like a performance pro. You're going to get fit and you're going to learn how to live your uncommon diabetic life. So spots are limited. Come visit us, visit us at uncommondiabetic.com and reserve your spot today. So Thanks to all of you for watching and for your time today. We've definitely gone over because we had this privilege with Sean. And I just want to thank you both, Sean and Beirut, for the great discussion on how we can prevent stress, fatigue, and burnout by really being aware of those five stressors and that we have to put the energy in if we're going to put the energy out. Beirut, I also really want to thank you for this opportunity over the last eight weeks to discuss, you know, the four pillars of health. I really am looking forward to working with you again and, and continue to drive that. And I know with both your support, I know that Uncommon Diabetic is going to help transform some people's lives. So I really thank you for this opportunity. Heath, it's been an absolute pleasure. You were one of my very first guests on this 90-day challenge. And we, we, we met for the first time here on YouTube of all places, right? Although we, we are in a uh, a group together uh, in terms of uh, the services that we we add and the value that we add but what I want to do is just thank you honestly what you're doing is fantastic um, I want to keep uh, working with you and I see you as a friend as a, as a colleague uh, you're in Canada but one day I'll be there and both of us are going to go to Australia at some point guaranteed uh, we're going to do Absolutely. great work together and I want to just make sure that Sean you have the final word here do you have any final words uh, for us, but especially for, for our audience. Look, I, I probably come back to where we started and really encourage people to take on that mindset, like the oxygen mask on the airplane, is that you've got to put your health first. Even if you have such a drive to be there for other people, the way that you're going to be able to be there for others is to take care of you first. And the simple thing to do is to see that it's something you do every single day. So we share the research from Microsoft around micro breaks. It's a simple concept. You want to look for simple, small ways that add up that you do every single day. Keith mentioned the word rituals. You want to create rituals of self-care, of recovery, and not feeling guilty for it, but like the athletes being accountable, taking responsibility for recovery. And if you can do that, if you can find ways to add more recovery during your waking hours, then you're going to be already on your way to building those rituals and habits that help you to develop energy, health, performance, and really avoid the stress, the fatigue, the burnout that uh, all of us don't want to find ourselves plunging into. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Heath. It's been an absolute pleasure. My favorite part of this experience on the, these YouTube and podcast episodes really is just being a student and learning from other people and, and I've learned so much so thank you uh, to the both of you you know just to to wrap this up we've been to Australia and Canada today and as part I'm running 
getting close to the end of this 90 day challenge. I've been to all sorts of places thanks to Zoom, you know, from India to Cyprus to Ibiza to South Africa, uh, Netherlands, uh, UK, uh, I can't remember, I must have been some other places too. It's been one heck of an experience. And as we move forward in the last uh, 10 days, to, uh, 12 days of this roughly, we're going to be focusing more and more on the opportunities that are there for you guys as entrepreneurs who want to now pivot into the health sector. And we'll, we'll run through some examples and some concepts that you need to think about. So stay tuned. And again, thank you very much. I'll see you all again after the weekend back on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye. Learn more at The Entrepreneur's Doctor. www.entrepreneurs.doctor. Better health starts here.